0: Hey, hey, everybody, before we start today's show, I want to take a real quick minute to tell you all about another great Libertarian podcast. I know you guys think that Lines of Liberty is the only Libertarian podcast out there, and we are great. I mean, it's awesome (laughs) what we do here at Lines of Liberty, but there's other good ones too. In fact, there's a great one called Good Morning Liberty. It's hosted by our friends, Nate and Charlie and myself and Brian. We were on the show couple weeks ago and Mark was on after that separately. Highly recommend going back and and checking out those episodes. Uh, But also with Good Morning Liberty, um, what they do with the host Nate and Charlie are trying to do is they've taken on the onus of trying to change people's minds of how people view libertarians. And they're doing this by leading with a message of compassion first. They're looking at the way in which policies impact people and using the principles of liberty to provide compassionate solutions. I know it's amazing, right? So much more effective than just typing loudly and screaming to yourself and commenting on Facebook statuses. But they're actually giving you tangible ways to talk to other human beings about how liberty is compassion amazing, right? They have a, uh, a background in healthcare. They actually own a healthcare IT company, a great podcast to tap into to get their perspective. You can check it out five days per week. So if you need that uh, daily hit of Liberty, please check out Nate and Charlie over at Good Morning Liberty.
1: Welcome to Felony Friday a presentation of the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, John Odermatt.
0: Felons, friends, and freedom lovers, welcome back to another great episode of Felony Friday right here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. And man, we got a great episode lined up for you guys today. I don't want to talk about anything else other than promoting this episode right now. So to lay this out for you, we recorded this a few days ago. It was a live virtual town hall titled Recovering Through Crisis. And this was put together by uh, my friend, Christopher Dreisbach, who is the CEO of Blueprints for Addiction Recovery. He uh, operates out of the eastern side of Pennsylvania. I'm on the western side. A few weeks ago, Christopher reached out to me and said, Hey, John, let's put this together. I want to bring some people together to talk about in this time of crisis, this time of people losing their job, this time of stress, time of anxiety, time of pressure, we need to talk about addiction, and we need to bring people, uh, bring people together to talk about solutions. Because um, unfortunately, I think there is a there is a wave coming, and it's not like we already didn't have an issue with addiction. So, very timely uh, topic, very timely episode, incredible speakers. Um, One you definitely want to hear from, you're going to hear from all of them, but the one that you're maybe familiar with, um, Sean Waltman, also known as X-Pac of WWE fame, if you're a wrestling fan, Uh, Sean shared from the heart, uh, very raw, very authentic, his recovery story. And he went through and talked about, you know, how he copes with it. Now, how he's li- how he's coping with uh, right now with the coronavirus being a lockdown. How he's uh, keeping in contact with people. How he's exercising. How he's getting through the day to stay strong through his uh, recovery. Also, um, I should mention Christopher Dreisbach, along with uh, Police Chief Ed Cunningham of Elizabethtown, PA. The two of them founded something called Second Chance PA. Second Chance PA is. Phenomenal. I love everything about it. I'm going to tell you just real quickly what it is and we'll go into it in detail in the town hall. Second Chance PA is treatment professionals, law enforcement officials, uh, advocates, citizens all working together to establish resources to favor treatment over incarceration Life over death, hope over hopelessness, and it is a—it's uh, a, just a fantastic thing. It's getting lots of people involved in the community, including new uh, district attorney of Lancaster County, Heather Adams, who was also a guest in the town hall, and she had some great things to say. Her insights um, into why she really cares, why—why why when Christopher approached her about Second Chance PA when she was running her campaign months ago, why it made her excited. And it's so awesome to see these changes taking place in a community, uh, in, a, in, a, uh, in a region. And I just know that this is going to spread across the country because it's, it's happening at the community level. And there's nothing more powerful than ideas spreading um, from people to people. So I'm excited to see where it goes. I'm excited for you guys to hear the town hall today. More great guests, um, John Padora, who is uh, someone in long-term recovery himself, who's running uh, running for state rep, Dr. Matt Walakonis, who is also uh, in long-term recovery. He's the owner and managing director of A New Life Sober Living. Just incredible guests all around. I'm excited for you guys to hear this. Let's get right to the show. The show notes page, let me say that and I'll let you listen to it. show notes page is at lionsofliberty.com slash FF two two five hope you guys enjoy today's town hall okay we should be live on facebook now so welcome uh to the recovering through crisis virtual town hall we have a uh, you're seeing right now all the guests the, the panelists that we have that we have uh lined up for you today to uh To speak on this very important topic, hopefully giving uh, everybody who's sitting at home quarantined, um, you know, something to uh, to think about and to uh, to learn about tonight. So, my name is John Odermatt. I am the host of a show called Felony Friday, which focuses on exposing injustice in the criminal justice system, as well as providing a platform uh, to uh, people. Like these people who I'm with tonight, who are doing things to find solutions uh, to solve problems, uh, both in the criminal justice system and problems with uh, with addiction, helping people into recovery. Uh, my co-host for tonight, Christopher Dreisbach, he is uh, the founder, well, CEO of Blueprints for Addiction Recovery. Chris, good to like have you. Chris.
2: Here. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> Thanks for the rousing round of applause. <laughs>
0: So I think what we're going to do tonight is kind of go through and, and uh, get a, a little intro, a uh, backstory on each of our panelists. And maybe we can start out by doing that with uh, Mr. Dreisbach himself, sort of uh, setting the stage here uh, for what we're going to talk about tonight.
2: Absolutely. So I am, as you can see in the corner of the screen, Christopher Dreisbach. <laughs> I'm the CEO of Blueprints for Addiction Recovery. I'm a co-founder of the Second Chance PA program, where we work with local law enforcement officers, some of which you can see on this screen, uh, to get people into treatment instead of incarceration, which is something very close to my heart as a person who was incarcerated and definitely in need of treatment at the time. Uh, So tonight, we're hoping to bring as much hope as possible to anybody listening uh, through some stories of personal struggles of the members of the panel and their personal triumphs and some other broad-based recovery discussion. So uh, I think with that we're going to start out with our first panelist, uh, Chief Ed Cunningham, the
3: Chief of Police for the borough of Elizabethtown, Pennsylvania. Ed. Thanks, Chris. Um, as Chris said, Uh, My name is uh, Ed Cunningham. I'm the Chief of Police for Elizabethtown Borough here in Pennsylvania, in South Central Pennsylvania. Um, I've been the the Chief of Police here since January of 2018. Um, Before that, I served for 23 years in the city of Pittsburgh, uh, working a number of different uh, patrol assignments, um, everything uh, from regular patrol to a number of different specialized units as well. Um, One of the things that really bothered me when I was working in the city of Pittsburgh um, was the way that we were fighting a battle with the overdoses, um, but we really never seemed to be winning that battle. Um, We were doing a lot of work returning to the same residences and the same people who were suffering from addiction, uh, and we and it seemed to always be just a re- revolving door kind of thing. Um, <clears throat> when I got here as the chief of police in Elizabethtown, um, I had the opportunity to miss to meet uh, Chris Dreisbach and his partner Ben McCoy from Blueprints, and we started talking about our uh, joint desire to help um, address the problem with. Uh, drug and substance abuse and the overdose uh, epidemic that, that was hitting the area and, and still is hitting the area and working to see if there was a way that we could do something better. Um, basically, what one of the things that we agreed on was the fact that um, it wouldn't be a bad idea to try something new um, because we weren't really being from the law enforcement side. We weren't really being very successful in any of our other uh, attempts to address this, Um, so maybe we should try something new. Um, I had seen and I had been doing some studying on some pre-arrest diversionary programs, and Chris and Ben and I and the chief of a neighboring police department started hammering out the details uh, to a new pre-arrest diversionary program um, we worked with uh, the district attorney's office, we worked with the judiciary, uh, we worked with uh, a number of different partners to make sure that we were covering all of the bases. And we, we came up with a program where law enforcement officers could be seen as a source of help for people who were suffering from addiction. Um, we designed a program where the police officers have the ability uh, to call for a certified recovery specialist to come out to the field and actually offer uh, treatment to a person who's suffering from addiction, rather than sending them directly to jail. Um, we we worked with uh, a number of different uh, agencies to see uh, to make sure that we were doing everything legally, um, but. We wanted to offer it so that if we weren't pushing people back into that revolving door of going to jail, getting clean for a minute, coming back out and relapsing, um, we wanted to actually offer them meaningful uh, entry into recovery, into treatment, and that's where uh, we really relied on our partnership with Blueprints and their network of providers um, to be able to offer. The, uh, the people that we encounter, uh, the help that they need. Um, the, two, the two main uh, goals of the Second Chance Program are number one, uh, first and foremost, to save lives, to get people who are struggling with addiction uh, connected with the recovery and, and the resources that they need. Um, but the, the second, and, and I would say almost equally important, uh, point of the second chance program is also uh, breaking down the stigma between the law enforcement community and the people who are and people who are suffering from addiction um, we want to see each other as human beings um, and see each other as someone who ha- needs help and someone who has the help to offer um, so we've really we've come up with with Chris's help we've come up with a very solid training program uh, bringing the idea of the brain science behind addiction to the police officers who are joining this program um, so that we can help them to understand why it is that a person chooses or or doesn't choose but doesn't have a choice but to continue using and abusing the drugs and and also making connections between people in the sector who are Uh, participating in recovery and police officers so that we can share our stories, uh, share a little bit about ourselves personally, and and see each other as human beings, not just addicts or cops. We can see each other as human beings. And and that's been a very successful part of the program as well, that I've really enjoyed uh, participating in. Uh, We started the program with just two police departments and that and kicked off in January of 2019 was our official launch. Um, At this point, I believe we're at 17 or 18 police departments, uh, close to 20 police departments participating. A couple of EMS uh, providers are participating and we're looking to continue to spread our program uh, as far and wide as we can. Uh, Just working to break the stigma between the two groups of people and also to save as many lives as we can. Chris. That was, that was great. Thanks chief.
2: Um,
0: Let let me, let me jump in and just, I I did say in the, uh, the comments there, if anyone does have a question, um, you know, please, please feel free to, uh, leave that question in the, uh, in the comment section on the zoom, or if you're watching live on Facebook, just leave it in the, uh, the Facebook chat on Blueprints or on Lions of Liberty, and uh, we'll try to get every question asked as long as there's enough time.
2: I think it's it's definitely important to, to even talk about how right now on this panel, we have a district attorney and a chief of police discussing addiction. We have both of those people who historically in their positions would have kind of thrown the book at people like me who had addiction problems, and I think it's a real testament to how much we've progressed over the last decade uh, to be able to have these two fine folks here with us tonight talking about their efforts and what they're doing to help people who struggle with addiction. With that, John, do you want to introduce our next panelist?
0: Sure. So let's uh, let's uh, go with District Atone- Attorney of Lancaster County, uh, Heather Adams.
4: Good evening. Um, thank you, Chris, for, for getting this together, and thank you for the panelists to participating. I'm, I'm happy to join everyone here tonight. Um, so I am the District Attorney of Lancaster County, and as such, I am the Chief Law Enforcement of the county, and, I am, and my office is tasked with uh, prosecuting criminal cases on behalf of the citizens of Lancaster County. Uh, I was elected um, and sworn in on January 6th of this year Prior to that, I was a prosecutor for 15 years, first in the York County District Attorney's Office and then the State Attorney General's Office. Uh, and then for five years, I was a criminal defense attorney. Um, so I wanna, I wanna start here tonight um, by commenting on the Second Chances Program and why I support that program. Um, during my campaign last year, I knew of course that the opioid epidemic had to be a part of the conversation Uh, And it was quite easy for me to identify that under my administration, um, we would use a multifaceted approach uh, to addressing it. It would consist of law enforcement. It would consist of supporting the treatment court programs and the diversion programs that we currently already had in place. It would consist of expanding the eligibility of those programs and actively participating in joining joining forces, which is a countywide effort to reduce the number of deaths from opioids. Um, and finally, I would support the treatment and re- rehabilitation of um, those facing addiction. And I wanted that to consist of what I labeled a structured recovery program. Um, when I started as an assistant district attorney in the York County District Attorney's Office, I was a team member of their uh, drug treatment court team. So I was aware that the best chance of beating an addiction is through a really a structured recovery program. So I was also aware that uh, as a prosecutor, we can request drug and alcohol evaluation as part of probation, and we can request the follow-through with the treatment. Um, But we really had no control over what that evaluation or what the treatment would consist of. So I recognize that absent a program similar to drug treatment court, which of course is limited in the number of participants, uh, that it would be difficult to do that. Uh, And then I met Chris Treisbach. Um, He reached out to me during uh, my campaign, and we sat down, and he talked to me about second chances. Um, He filled me in on the program. I had a lot of questions for him. He gave and shared all his answers. I asked if I could sit in on a law enforcement training, and he was able to make that happen. So I knew uh, once I talked and met with Chris that he and his program really had the answers to me, for me, in in finding a program that I could really get behind and support 100 percent. So I I support it for a number of reasons. First, it allows officers the discretion to offer the program, and I think that um, that not only has the ability to save lives, obviously, but it, it can make a real difference in community relations with law enforcement. And there's really no limit to how many lives can be saved by someone accepting the invitation by law enforcement to participate in the program, and that's invaluable. Um, again, as I said, the fact that, and the chief mentioned this, the program is meaningful. It has a structured recovery program. It's not just a 28-day um, stint and rehab and then you're done. There's a lot of follow-through to this program. And I think another benefit to this pre-arrest uh, diversion program, and it, it certainly has the potential to impact the numbers at Lancaster County Prison um, as it continues to grow throughout Lancaster County. And we always like to see the cost savings in, in such an effort like that. So, I mean, since I've been sworn in, I'm so glad, um, Chris and, and Chief Cunningham, to see that this program has, has grown to other departments. And I suspect that um, as we have more and more success, that it's going to continue to grow uh, to every department in Lancaster County. Um, and I want to commend you, Chris. I mean, we have a, a larger audience tonight, um, perhaps than, than I've addressed before. So I really want to commend him and blueprints for this program because it really filled a void. Uh, I think, you know, as I heard in my campaign, so many people were turning to the courts and to prosecutors and they were asking, what are you doing in response to the, the addiction and the opioid epidemic uh, here in Lancaster? And in fact, we already had so many programs in place. Like, like I've mentioned, we have treatment courts, we had diversion programs that were ongoing. Um, but I don't know that anyone ever asked the providers, like, what are they doing to address the opioid epidemic? Because it was larger than perhaps we've ever seen before. And again, I think Chris and his program thought outside the box and they created this program and they, and they filled that void. Um, so I can't wait to see the continued success, uh, Chris, that you're going to have throughout the year. Um, I want to take just a moment to talk about what my office is doing during um, this crisis. Uh, we are somewhat limited by a judicial emergency order that's been issued and and updated a number of times um, since, gosh, I forget when when we entered this, all sometime in March. Um, But generally, we've been working on a daily basis with the Public Defender's Office to address um, preliminary hearings, bail petitions, arraignments, parole violations, uh, guilty pleas, and sentences to continue to give access to the court system to those who are in jail. Um, currently, the court is is starting to put a plan together uh, to expand those services to those who are not incarcerated, uh, and all that's being done via video. Um, so also early on in this crisis, we worked with Lancaster County Prison, uh, the Public Defender's Office and Adult Probation and Parole, and the court to address the prison population at Lancaster County Prison. Um, and in fact, in, in looking over inmates to be released, there were a number of inmates that were scheduled to go door-to-door to door Uh, and we contacted um, our contact at Lancaster County Prison and encouraged them to try to find a bed date quicker uh, rather than us simply allowing them to be cut loose without the appropriate treatment or the tools to address their addiction. Um, And I know in at least two instances they were able to make that happen. Um, So moving forward, I think um, we're going to continue to look at these cases and do an analysis on on a uh, case-by-case basis. Um, Certainly in many of these cases, Justice is being delayed uh, because of the judicial emergency. Um, So as the county and the state opens back up, I suspect we're going to see um, an uptick and maybe even a surge of crime. Uh, With respect to addiction, I suspect um, we may see, because of the extra financial hardships that people are are uh, experiencing, Um, we may see addicts committing crimes that they haven't before, such as deliveries, Um, or even burglaries. Um, So I think we're just, my office is going to be cognizant of that and we'll be aware of the impact that this crisis um, is having on everyone. And we will um, certainly be aware of that and take that into consideration in deciding um, the appropriate result for those cases. So again, thank you. And and Chris, thanks again for for the program.
2: Thank you, Heather. And I I think that um, I'm awfully distracted when I'm on Zoom, first off. Uh, It's an awkward setting that I'm certainly not used to. Uh, John Odermatt is much more skilled at the Zoom than I am. Uh, So if we want, let's open up to the medical expert on our panel and talk a little bit about the medical component and also uh, also the pink elephant in the room behind him.
5: Perfect. You got that. Good.
2: <laughs> so, with that, i will give you Dr. Matthew who's <laughs> also an individual in long term recovery, who will certainly be sharing his story as well.
5: All right. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Chris, for the invitation. Uh, thank you, John, for hosting this. And it, it really is a pleasure to uh, be a part of such a great event with District Attorney Adams, um, with Sean as well. And I'll tell you what, just a testament of who this gentleman is, Um, I really can't remember, recall, but between first responders events, between uh, traveling for different events, this is probably the third or fourth event that I've had the privilege of doing with Chief Cunningham. And I just think it really, really shows his dedication and how much he believes in the Second Chance program and everything to help people with addiction. So what I want to do right now is just go ahead and tell a little bit about my story. And you know, maybe some people are wondering, like you know, you have like a district attorney here, a chief of police, a CEO of a rehab, um, gentleman who's running for the the house. You have a, a gentleman like Sean who's in long term recovery with a great story. Like, why am I supposed to listen to this guy? <laughs> you know what I mean? But um, one of the reasons I'm on here is because. I try to do a lot of the things that everybody on here is trying to accomplish. And one of that is breaking the stigma with people who are in addiction. And the second is doing everything that I can with the platform given to be of maximum effectiveness to try to help other people who come in my path who need help with addiction and alcoholism. I don't know how a lot of people may view people with addiction what they may think of them, what type of background do they come from, or who their parents might be, or whatever. Um, I was born in wyoming Pennsylvania. I have two amazing parents. I graduated with honors from Temple University. I did my business education in healthcare administration with leadership strategy at the University of Notre Dame. And I graduated vice president of my class from the Ross University School of Medicine. And at the end of the day, even though all of that sounds great, even though it seems like I'm an educated person, even though it seems that I probably know the decision between right and wrong, and I should be able to make the proper choices, I still ended up putting a needle in my arm. That's because I suffer from the disease of addiction. I go ahead and I do things like this, and I share my story, and I take on certain other jobs in my profession. Because I think I have a very, very unique position. I don't know many people who have gone ahead and actually studied the medicine of it, who studied the psychiatry of it, who understand the neuroplasticity of the disease of addiction and have detoxed in a jail cell. If I would go ahead and just keep all of that to myself, I'm really not benefiting anybody. One of the things in my profession now that I spend a vast amount of my time on is addressing the opioid addiction and helping men and women who are in early recovery. I wanted to do more than just the things that I had to do for myself personally. And I wanted to get more active. I wanted to utilize what I had, the knowledge that I have, and the experience that I have. And I wanted to try to do whatever I could to make a difference. And. Um, I live in York, Pennsylvania. I live in Red Line now. And about two, two and a half years ago, um, I went ahead and sat down with um, a guy who's just really paved the way for me to all of this that I've been able to accomplish today. And uh, his name's Dr. Matt Howie. And I sat down and I talked with him and I told him my story and I said, okay, this is what I want to do. I want to help people. What can I do? And he said, okay, well, how about this? I'm the executive director of this collaborative here in York. Why don't you come to the meetings with us? And I went ahead and I went to the meeting and I listened and I met people and I got involved with NPOs and I got involved with all of these amazing providers who try to help everybody. And like, lo and behold, like, where does this story end about seven or eight months ago? Like God willing, I'm given the opportunity um, to undertake Why I'm here today, and that is as the owner and managing director of A New Life Sober Living, Um, I've been put in a position where I have the opportunity to help men and women at one of the lowest points in their life. And this is what I absolutely love. Like, this is why I'm so happy that like I get to work with Chris and I get to hear District Attorney Adams and Chief Cunningham. Because like this is what you were talking about, Ms. Adams. It's not just, oh, we're gonna go ahead and get these people and then we're gonna cut them a break and see what happens. In a perfect world, what we would like is some type of system to flow, some type of intervention to be made. Them enter the Second Chance program, them go to a 28-day treatment program, and then they come to just exactly what you were talking about, and that's a structured environment. Because anybody at that stage in their life where their mind has been clouded with drugs for that point of time, needs just that. They need structure. They need guidelines. They need time to get their self back on their feet again. And um, it's an absolute, complete blessing. Uh, to be able to um, help people the way that I can through a new life, sober living. And just wanted to touch on a couple of other things as well. And, you know, that's not just necessarily what I do, but why we are here today. And that is the actual problems in the addiction and the mental health community that are going on right now because of uh, the COVID-19 public crisis. Um, more specifically, social distancing. And it's difficult. It really is. But like one of the things that I think is most important when we do things like this is to go ahead and educate people, um, to give them awareness of what's going on. And just like we're doing afterwards, give them any opportunity to ask any questions. It's very important to know detoxes, rehabs, they are still open they are still accepting patients. Um, Recovery houses, they are still open. They are still accepting residents. Now, of course, what are the challenges that we are facing right now? There are some, and it may limit some people who can come in and come out because whoever is in charge of whatever facility that a person needs to get inpatient treatment at or the recovery house, of course, you need to maintain the health and safety of the current residents or current clients that you have. So what does that look like? Um, For a new life, sober living, um, in addition to all of the regular things that we do on the regular intake process, you also have to screen uh, for certain things, find out where the uh, potential resident coming in, if they've been outside of the country for the last 30 days, have they had a fever, have they had a cough, have they had shortness of breath, have they come in contact with anybody who tested positive for COVID-19? institutions like this are not turning people away our doors are open and we are doing everything that we can to put every single safeguard in place so that every single man or woman who is looking for recovery in a new way of life is able to get that it's true there are 12-step fellowships all throughout uh central pennsylvania um And of course, just like District Adams was saying, they look for somebody to have some type of structure. And once you get into the actual recovery house modality of the recovery process, aside from the structure of the guidelines, that is exactly what we try to do. We try to direct them to these 12-step fellowship programs, because ultimately, when it comes to addiction, that is where they find their solution, and that is where they actually get their life back on track. I understand it's a challenge right now. We can't go to these churches. We can't go to these events. We cannot have actual contact with people like we would at a traditional 12-step fellowship meeting. However, that's just, you know, I, I, this may be an unpopular opinion, but like to be quite honest with you, like one of the things that people do in early recovery the most is they justify. They find excuses. They do absolutely completely whatever they want to do to manipulate the situation. That makes it seem like what they are doing is the correct thing. And here's the truth. You go to these 12-step fellowship meetings three or four months ago. You walk into a church. The place is packed. You go into these Zoom meetings that are completely available all throughout the day, every single day of the week and you click on the participants just like you would in this meeting, and there is maybe a quarter to a fifth of the amount of people. Is the actual problem that we have with social distancing the fact that we are not able to go and physically be at these 12-step fellowship meetings? No. The problem is they're available and people aren't going. The problem is there's still a solution. There is still a program to follow. There are still an amazing, amazing support group for people here in Lancaster County and throughout Central York to call somebody, to talk to somebody. And if they want to take the responsibility, they're responsible for their recovery. And I think it's a very, very important message for me to make right now that recovery is still available during this time. You just got to go a little bit further to get it. The isolation, there are a bunch of issues that people have to deal with mental health right now. I get it. Um, I'm a very, very big component that when it comes to addiction, especially in early recovery, I'm sorry, I have like eight diastokes here. I have to take a sip of one of them. Uh, That's good. Okay. Um, I'm a very, very firm believer that in addition with what you have to do for your recovery, What you have to do to treat the physical allergy, what you have to do to treat the spiritual malady, there are other components to it as well. There's a physical component for sure, and there's a mental component for sure. Um, If you're isolated, what can you do to treat the physical? You got to just continue to do something and keep active. Um, Anything that you could possibly do while still respecting the mandates from the governor and everything that's going on with social distancing. And another big thing, the most important thing, which personally, I think is one of the largest contributors to the massive uptick right now that we've been experiencing over the last month is the very, very strong untreated mental health component that pairs along with the addiction. And I get it. I've been there. But again, here's what it comes down to. There's help out there. There's help out there still. You can go ahead and... Talk to your mental health practitioners. Every single outpatient site that I know is doing some type of telehealth, something through Doxynet. People are able to get in touch with um, their mental health providers. Stay vigilant. Stay on those types of things. And I just think a lot of the things that we are here to address right now are the problems and the restrictions that we are having with COVID-19. But it's not an end all. There are answers to it, and the answers are out there. I can guarantee you right now, every single person knows there are still drugs out on the street. And whether there is social distancing or not, if people want the drugs enough, they're going to go get them. End of story. This is the type of attitude, this is the type of mindset that we have to take in a time like this. If you are in recovery and you have a couple of years, you've got some good sobriety or clean time under your belt, be a leader. Reach out to other people in your fellowship. If you've struggled with certain mental health issues in the past and you know that you have other individuals that you know who have struggled with, reach out to them. Be there. How many times have we sat around and somebody said, You know what? I was really, really down that day and so and so called me and you know what? We talked and um, it really made me feel better. This is a time where we do have some different ways that we got to follow and work our recovery and work a program with COVID-19 and with social distancing, but please, please, please do not let that be the reason why you would fall back or go into relapse. Um, just look here, we, like you said, like we have a chief of police, we have a district attorney, we have just unbelievable people here who are still continuing to provide every resource possible and give every single opportunity for us to succeed. And uh, I really think that this is a situation where if we want recovery enough, like we're just going to do absolutely, completely anything in our power. Again. All right.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Matt. Um, you know, I just want to echo what you said there, because we do have, we have such a diverse group of people here, different uh, different careers, different experiences. And, you know, that's that's the one thing that I've noticed in my time, you know, looking into the, the broader criminal justice system, but also looking into um, addiction recovery is that it's a, a topic that brings so many different people together. It doesn't matter left, right, you know, middle extreme. Um, people understand that there, you know, this, this is a problem that is serious. And we need to direct people to the, to the solutions, especially right now, uh, with what's going on with COVID-19. I mean, as, as many of our guests have already mentioned, um, this is a, uh, a dire time and, uh, it's just, it's so important right now to uh, to make these resources available and to and to be there for people. So, Chris, you want to introduce our next guest?
2: Absolutely. I think before we introduce our next speaker, I have a special guest with me here in office, and I'm going to kick my computer over to her. It's Sarah Gisriel from ABC 27 here in uh, Harrisburg, right? Yes. In Harrisburg, <laughs> and uh, she has a question for our esteemed guest, Sean. Sean Waltman, you ready? Ready to answer All a question?
6: Right. I can see he's already ready. So, hi hey there, um, not so special guest, but hi, Sarah here. Um, Sean, you have are used to being in the public eye, and coronavirus, especially for all of us, has been um, very isolating. Um, as someone who is kind of used to having portraying one image to everybody, and then kind of having to be by themselves, I know that can be especially hard for addiction. So, for people that are kind of looking to you, seeing you all the years as the wrestler, someone they look <laughs> up to how would you most want them to know about your personal journey with recovery and what they can do to kind of not feel so isolated as we've talked about throughout this whole uh, talk here?
1: Well, well, first of all, um, as far as that image that, that you're talking about, like one of the things that really helped me was shedding that false like image that, that a lot of people on my line of work, like feel like we have to project. And so like, mostly these days the image you see projected is, is the authentic me. So that really helps. Right. You know, right there, people know my story, you know? Um, and, um, and yeah, I just, it can be, it can be tough. That, that like, it's a lot of people in my, you know, like a lot of my friends and colleagues, you know, they have a lot of, they have a hard time dealing with that, with that image that they're trying to, uh, trying to maintain, you know? So, yeah.
6: Yeah. And I think that's a big part of it is that everybody kind of looks at you and expects you to be one way. And when you're dealing with something that's so big as addiction, it's even harder for you to really be just deal with your demons and just to other people that maybe are looking to you right now as someone that they can recognize. Of course, everyone here on this panel has been so great. Um, Since you're the kind of the, the celebrity, if you will, what is one thing you'd want people to know about? your recovery and how it could help just the average person that's not used to having their name up in lights and being in the ring.
1: Okay. So I think though one for me, the most important thing is like, I have tried this. I, I've been, okay. I've been to three different rehabs over, you know, uh, over about a 10 year period um, before, fi- you know, finally didn't need another one. Uh, but like the, the main thing is like not giving up, you know, cause like so many of us, um, uh, just, you know, um, and tried and and kept failing. And then, and then, and it's just, and it's that it makes you feel like, okay, there's something wrong with me. I'm broken. Like I, I'm not doing this right. And, and, and a lot of people give up and they just said that they just say F it, you know? And, um, and I have a lot of friends like that, that are just still like wandering in the darkness and, you know, they have good days and if, if they have some good days, it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful thing. But you know, there's a lot of bad days mixed in there too, with a lot of them. And, um, and yeah, so like for me, it's, it, it was just, and I would like to say I never gave up, but I did. Um, several years ago, I, I hung myself from the roof of my apartment, in Mexico city. And I was, you know, I was in a coma for three days. I, people didn't they didn't know if I was going to make it. And, um, yeah, I thought that maybe i brain damage, that whole nine yards. But um, and I'm not trying to, like, make light of that. But, you know, there's a million things to talk about here, and I don't want to focus on just that. But, but so for me to say I never gave up, that, that wouldn't be true. But thankfully, other people didn't give up on me when I gave up on myself. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I was so fortunate to always have resources there if I needed them you know um, uh, WWE has kind of a mixed um, reputation these days but like as far as you know being there f- for us like uh, you know like mental health stuff and and you know like like all those all those rehabs they paid for every one of them for me and uh you know like, like I said I'm so grateful for that because I think that's one of the huge problems is like most people don't have those resources, so like I was extremely lucky that, you know, every time I fell, like somebody was there if I if I needed, you know. So sorry, I I I'm scatterbrained, so like I'll I'll drift off into the weeds here. You guys got to pull me back in. Chris knows that about me.
6: No, you're good. I, I, I'm i <laughs> kind of dealing with that with the coronavirus haze. Um, and this is my last question, then I'll turn it back over to the long-haired leader there. Um, but just for that, I know you said the WWE, and like you had a lot of people that were kind of available to you. For maybe someone who's watching this right now who is really kind of struggling and thinks, well, obviously I don't have the WWE or anything like that. Um, is there any like kind of moment you had of just that just as a human being, wrestler, anything aside, that they could do to maybe reach out, obviously going to recovery specialists, but is there any way in like your worst moment that you found relief by reaching out or one thing or the other?
1: Wow. That's the problem is, is okay. So there was, there was one point and it was actually, um, the second rehab I went to that they paid for. And I had reached out to them and asked for this help and then I went to rehab and, and I hate to say this, but like, I didn't take it serious. I ended up like actually abuse, like using substances while I was in that rehab. And, and I basically excuse my language. I shit all over the help they gave me. And so like, I was very scared. I, I, I hesitated to ever ask for help again. Like it was years. So I just wandered around for years, like getting messed up and going, wow, I kind of burned that bridge. I can't really, reach out to them anymore and then when the suicide attempt happened um they stepped in on their own you know and uh it's just like i guess one of the things is like there's there are resources out there and like um like some of the town halls i did with chris when i came to pennsylvania a couple years ago like you know there were plenty of people there with like displays and uh uh and all that for for different resources they had available and so they're there um um i guess yeah it's like it's like matt was saying like when when you when when you get desperate you will finally reach out right like i'm i'm with him 100 on that
6: Okay. Thank you so much. I swear this is the last one that I'm done and I'm going to in the camera. Um, but could you just address everybody that might be watching this? Who is an addict is kind of not at that point. Maybe they're not at their list or they just want to hear from someone like you. Can you address them specifically and talk to them right now?
1: Okay. So like I said, no matter how bad it seems right now, like, there is light at the end of the tunnel. It's it's there. Um, I was one of these guys that, so there there used to be this, and there might still be, but I don't know because I'm not on it anymore, but there used to be this death pool where people would bet on who was going to die next from our industry. And I was like, we were top of the list. Um, A lot of us, you know, were considered hopeless, incorrigible. And, um, And I was one of them, one of the, one of the people they considered the most, you know, hopeless of them all. And I'm here right now and in recovery. And so like, if I, and I know this is kind of cliche and kind of corny sounded, if I can do it, so can you, but you know, I pulled myself up like most recently, um, I didn't go back to rehab. I just, I had, um. I had three, I had three trips to rehab that I, I learned something and each one and I retained that. And even though I wasn't, I guess ready, like I still had those under my belt and I still had progress made. And, um, and, and I got you know, like for me and, uh, and so I've had different wars with different substances. I had a huge battle with meth and opiates, which to me are the two most damaging ones. Like obviously alcohol, like that's another conversation too. That's as bad as anything, but um, for a lot of people. Uh, But um, when I got to the opiate thing, man, that was a whole different ball game. Uh, I mean, the withdrawals and the detox is like, and I'm, I'm somebody with a high, high pain tolerance and can take a lot of punishment. It was the worst thing I've ever been through in my life. um, Ever. Ever like, I, I uh, what's well, going to sound? However, it's going to sound. I'm glad I didn't have a shotgun handy while I was while I was going through that because I might have used it on myself. It was so bad. Um, and and for me, the thing that really helped me, and I we haven't talked about this, and hopefully we do, is uh, MAT is the use of medication to help. Uh, help with opiate addiction. And I was on that for a couple of years. And finally I, I, I tapered off myself. Uh, and it was amazing for me. It literally saved my life. And I hope that we talk about that because there's a stigma against that, even in the 12 step community. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of MAT shaming at all. So, Hey, I thank you so much for your questions.
6: You're welcome. And I promise, I I told him, I'm giving it back. There it goes.
1: (laughs) Hey, guys, I'm back. Hi, Chris. Hey, Sean. Thank you for that. I'm really honored to be here. Like, you haven't, like, introduced,
2: because I'm sure some people might not know who the hell I am. You know, that's a good point. I never did introduce you, uh, but I wanted to bring our special guest in while she was still here, because she's a professional interviewer, and I'm not. So... Uh, With that, our guest, Sean Waltman, uh, is a WWE Hall of Famer. For those of you who don't know what WWE is, it is professional wrestling. It is the largest professional wrestling company in the world. Uh, Sean is an extremely, uh, I don't even know what the word I'm looking for is, but Sean is an extremely well-traveled, talented, talented, thanks, John, uh, talented wrestler. He's performed all over the world. In front of very large crowds, and he is more nervous uh, talking to us at this yes. time. he was.
5: <laughs> yeah.
3: so, uh,
2: I just yes, I to- have a phobia for talking in front of crowds for some reason. Yeah. It's a overcome. strange thing to think about. And uh, I'm going to come back to you in a little bit, Sean. Uh, before we do that, I want to ask Dr. Matt to come back online here and talk to us a little bit about MAT and maybe any of the medical components of
5: how that might
2: help some folks.
5: So the one the one thing that Sean actually said is a thing I'm sure a lot of people have heard um or maybe even believe um and that's that the recovery community does not exactly have the highest regard for medication assisted treatment um It really all depends how you look at it. If you want to talk to some people who are in recovery who really are not a fan of it, you can go ahead and give the argument that what exactly are you treating if you were just taking one substance and substituting it for another? And of course, it would both be some type of schedule to narcotic. Instead of whatever narcotic you're doing, percocet, heroin, fentanyl, you're substituting with buprenorphine. However, here's my opinion on this. And I think it is why a lot of practitioners in our region are actually utilizing it. So a lot of things when you talk about either public health or when you talk about medicine, you kind of look at two different things and that's risk versus reward. And the truth is, if people want to go out on the streets right now and get heroin, maybe you could probably do that about five, 10 years ago. The truth is with what is going out, on the streets right now, um, it's not. Maybe you have a little bit of heroin, but it's some other type of opioid derivative like fentanyl, carfentanil, acrofentanil, basically something once you put it in your body, you're gonna be dead before you hit the ground. So that's what it comes out to, risk versus reward. If there are people who have a long-standing medical history of chronic relapse, multiple overdose deaths, An incredible amount of rehabs and so many tries of actually working through some type of program, and they just still cannot get it. Don't you think a good opportunity would be to introduce them to something like that? Here's another way to look at it. If you take 10 people here and 10 people here. These 10 people, you say, go ahead, get in the streets, go ahead, go get your dope, whatever you want to get, put it in a needle, put it in your arm. At some point in time, whether it be three months, six months, or or a year, with what is going out there right now, they are going to die. 10 out of 10 times, it's going to happen. If you look at it in the other way, and you take 10 people, and you put them on Suboxone, is there some type of MAT medication, some type of buprenorphine? Are we saying that MAT has a 100% success rate? No, nobody is saying that. But if following that type of program can maybe help somebody, one person, two people, you you know, there's definitely some reward in that. And there's another very specific thing that I'd like to point out. There is a difference between being on suboxone or being on buprenorphine and being in an MAT program. An MAT program stands for Medication Assisted Treatment. It's an assistance in the treatment. People who are on some type of buprenorphine program that is being given to you by a certified practitioner should be undergoing several other very important things in the process, whether it's uh, counseling, whether it's 12 step fellowship programs, but other things in addition to just that medication alone. Again, Does it get a lot of shame in the recovery community? Yeah, it does. Um, There's a lot of, oh, well, you're not sober. Oh, well, you're not clean. Oh, well, you don't have a sobriety date. And I get it. And I think the thing that really, really gets lost sometimes is we're not really trying to please other people around us with some long-term sobriety date. We're at this level of the game that we're in. We're kind of in it to save lives. And you know, is MAT for everybody? Absolutely, completely not. That is between the patient and the board-certified physician who is able to prescribe that type of medication. But I think it is one of the medications that is widely used now because of the benefit that it has with certain people with an ultra-high risk of uh, overdose deaths. Well, that's it.
0: Okay. So, yeah. thank you for that, Matt. We're getting. Uh, thank you so of...
1: much for that, Matt.
0: Yes, sir. <clears throat> We're getting a lot of great feedback on Facebook. People are loving uh, the insights and and the honesty um, coming through, and we're getting a lot of great questions that we'll ask. Uh, We'll start doing a sort of roundtable here in a moment, but before we get to that, uh, let's intro our last guest, John Padora, who is running uh, for state rep in his home district on a platform of battling uh, the addiction crisis.
7: Hey, everyone. How's it going? Uh, my name's John Padora. I'm an individual. Hey, hey how on. are you? Hey, thanks for having me tonight here, by the way. I really appreciate this. I, I think this is one of the greatest you know, events we could put together that highlights such an important issue to all of us. And I'd just like to thank everybody for taking time to watch this and all the panelists for being on here and, and contributing to it tonight. It's a, it's a big deal to me, so I appreciate it. Um, like I was saying, my name's John Padora. I'm an individual in long-term recovery. I'm a former heroin addict and opioid addict. I'm coming up on about seven years of recovery right now. I'm a husband uh, to an amazing wife. I'm a father to three beautiful children. I'm a blue collar manufacturing engineering technician. Um, I'm also an environmental scientist. And I wasn't, al- I- I wasn't always that well grounded. Um, I'd like to tell everybody a little bit about my story tonight. When I was about 19 years old, I was involved in a car accident. Um, a lot of chronic pain stemmed from that. So naturally, I was prescribed Vicodins and, and Percocets. Um, one thing led to the next. You know, it, it wasn't too long until my entire life just spiraled out of control. The, the Vicodins and, and the Percocets led in a downward spiral into oxycodone usage. Um, and I was trapped in a vicious cycle for quite a long time. Um, a couple years later after that, we had our first child. My son, Koi, was born. And, you know, that that's what really began to give me the strength to begin uh, moving forward. My wife supported me. I had an incredible support system the whole time, and I was finally able to put, you know, some of those dangerous practices behind. But the biggest thing that we all need to confront tonight is addiction is persistent, and it's cunning. So what happened is I ended up relapsing. My wife was pregnant with our second daughter, or sorry, our second child, our first daughter, and I relapsed. Um after maybe eight or nine months of complete sobriety. You know, it just happened one day out of the blue like that. Uh, That forced me into county prison. I was sentenced to uh, three to 18 months in county prison with the possibility of serving another 12 months upon my release date. So I can tell you that uh, county prison broke me. Um, When I was in there going through detox, you know, those lonely nights that I spent alone in a jail cell, That's when I decided. You know that that was the minute that I decided. You know I don't want to become another statistic, and I refuse to accept that as my future. You know I wanted to get out. I wanted to be a you know successful member of society. I wanted to be there for my family. I didn't want to be like so many of my friends that ended up six feet under. I didn't want to end up like so many of my friends that were just trapped in that revolving prison door over and over again. And you know I was fortunate with my support cycle that when I got out I was able to do it. You know I, I worked my way up to a the position, the management position that I'm at for the company that I work for now. I graduated with a bachelor of environmental sciences, and it, it sure wasn't easy. And the thing that I'd like to address with that is the second chance program. If that was around when I, you know, when I went through my stint of charges, that could have been something that you know potentially would have saved my life because I needed treatment so bad, and I knew it, and I wanted treatment. I wasn't in denial for the longest time about my addiction. But I'll tell you what, when I was incarcerated. And I was around multiple you know violent offenders in there. it really, really dehumanized me when I had you know the judges and the and the guards and the institutional officers treat me like less than a human being. that was really demoralizing so if you fast forward now um here i am i'm um, it's twenty twenty I'm running for State House of Representatives on a platform that you know wants to stand up to the opioid addiction, wants to create these you know, successful steps so that we can move forward. That is the, the highlight of my campaign. And most importantly, what I wanna do is I wanna inspire people that are still struggling from substance abuse disorder. I wanna show them that there is light at the end of the tunnel. If that's all that I accomplished throughout this campaign, then I'll, have been a, I'll be a winner when I come out on the other end. Um, it feels really good to stand up here and, and share my story with everybody. There was a lot of pain, a lot of suffering involved in it. And every day is still a process. You know, I think I heard somebody ask the question earlier, um, are you an addict for life? If you were a previous addict, are you an addict for life? That's a debatable question, but to me, absolutely. Every single day, I have to make sure that I take proactive measures to not repeat my history over and over again. Um, I hope that my hardships can shine some light to people and inspire people. I hope that I can inspire, you know, the district attorney, inspire the police chief, other, other police officers in Pennsylvania that, you know, want to institute more programs like Second Chances. That's what I'm here to do. I love my family. I love my community. I love my state. Um, I wasn't always in this position, and I'm happy to be here tonight, and that's really all I have for my introduction. Thanks, John. Thank you.
2: Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thanks, John. <clears throat> I think it's, it's pretty impressive to be able to sit up in this panel, and to look at the successful people in recovery that we have up here. And I think it's a testament to the power of recovery and the power of what you can accomplish if you take recovery seriously and you get involved the way you're supposed to. And, you know, not to politicize anything, but it's impressive that someone who has that experience in the past is able to stand up and try and be a part of the solution, it is just commendable and awesome. So, Thank you. John. John, do you have any, John Odermatt, do you have any questions that you saw pop up that you want to ask any panelists?
0: Yeah, sure. This, uh, the first one, I guess, would be for you, Chris, or for, for Chief Cunningham, maybe. Um, so a question about the Second Chance program, um, two-part question. How is it funded, and are there plans to expand to other
2: counties? We'll give that one to Chief Cunningham, since he is the expert.
6: Okay. <laughs>
3: um originally and i have to the reason that chris kicked it to me is because he's too uh, if anybody can believe it he's too humble to to say <laughs> uh, but it actually was completely uh supported uh by chris and by Blue, blueprints uh the, the certified recovery specialists were blueprints employees Although they worked specifically for the Second Chance program, um, they were paid by Blueprints. Um, So that that did, uh, even though very few of the referrals went to Blueprints, just because of uh, some operational things, uh, he still supported it very heavily. Um, We just recently received a uh, a grant uh, from the federal government through the state and local government uh, to help us expand the program. So the second, the second part of that answer is that, uh, like I said before, we started with two police departments. We're now up to almost 20 police departments in our county. Um, I know I've had discussions with the uh, probation and parole offices and with police chiefs in the surrounding counties about expanding. Um, when we first started, I had to try to rein Chris in uh, he wanted to expand to every police department in the state within like two or three weeks of kickoff, and <laughs> and I had to rein him in a little bit on that one. Uh, but we are we are growing, and um, we're now at this point we're excited to be growing and offering this service in more and more uh, municipalities um, as we as quickly as we can.
2: Anything to add there, Chris? Yeah, I was going to say, Chief Cunningham, you want to share maybe one of your best uh, experiences or second-chance success stories with
3: everybody give him a little hope? Uh, there, there, My favorite success story it, um, comes from a, uh, a gentleman. One of the things that we also uh, started doing to try to get this to as many people as we can is we started inviting a uh, recovery specialist uh, it started just with Chris, and then we moved uh, to uh, some of the others also, inviting a recovery specialist to uh, come to our stationary DUI checkpoints so that we can attempt to reach people who are suffering from either a drug addiction or a, an alcohol addiction uh, to offer them some help right there at the time when they need it the most. And um, Chris was actually working a checkpoint that was being hosted here in Elizabethtown, and we came up upon one of our local residents who had a very serious methamphetamine uh, addiction. Um, if you looked up the definition of meth addiction in the the, the dictionary, uh, this young man would be the picture-perfect definition of that. Uh, his movement, his demeanor, uh, and his criminal record all matched that. Um, we connected him with Chris. Uh, it took a couple, t- a couple of tries to get him started. Um, but later in the summer, that was in March of last year, uh, later in the summer, I was at a uh, fundraising event that Blueprints was hosting. And a young man came up to me and introduced himself, and I didn't even recognize him. Um, at that point, he had almost five months clean and sober. Uh, He was actively participating in the continuum of care, uh, actively participating in his recovery. And he he had gotten a job. He had gotten an apartment. uh, He was clean. He was sober and really was doing some great things. Uh, But I didn't even recognize him uh, because he had cleaned up so well. And and this is a guy that I guarantee I'm absolutely sure uh, we would have ended up burying him. Uh, If it wasn't for the fact that he just happened to come through the DUI checkpoint that night and the second chance program connected him with the help that he needed. And um, I, I would be willing to, I mean, he's got to be close to a year now. And, and, and I actually, I can't wait to see him again to see what he's done in that year. That is an awesome story. And I, I was a part of it, so I
2: can feel it in my heart and in my soul, and and I know that the individual in question is doing great. He's about to be married, uh, and I think he might even have a kid on the way. Oh, wow. So big congrats to him if he's listening. Uh, we have a good question over on the, uh, the Zoom chat here from Brittany, and she asked, what does law enforcement need to hear that would gain their buy-in uh, there are counties where law enforcement gives pushback. So what do you think we need to do or say to them uh, to get this started around the state? And I want to kick that to Heather, if she wouldn't mind weighing in.
4: There we go. Needed to unmute. Um, sure. Well, I mean, I in Lancaster, I think we're doing a great job because I think the chief said we have 20 um, out of 27, I believe it is. And, and once we get them, I'll certainly help Chris um, talk with the state police too, uh, so we can cover all the jurisdictions in Lancaster. Um, I would suspect that law enforcement needs more training, um, and that's something that Blueprints offers. And I I was able to connect with a few chiefs and encourage them to at least have that training. You don't lose anything by having Blueprints come in and sit down um, and talk to the officers. Um, I also think I was at a, the training that I was at. Um, there was a York City officer who also had a personal experience with um, her child uh, a dying of, uh, I believe it was a heroin overdose. Um, and I think when it hits that close to home, um, that that the officers really uh, it, it, it touches them. Um, so I, I think basically it's it's, it's training and being, being willing to, to open up and, and hear.
3: If I could jump in on that one also, I, I agree with you, Heather, but we also have to make it um, good training. And that's one of the things when, one of the advantages of the onboarding training that we bring with the Second Chance Program is, is that we have, um, we offer a little bit of the science behind the addiction Uh, but we also offer chris tells his story ben tells his story and we share also from the police side um, we we get young officers to talk and i as i call myself a dinosaur as a dinosaur i share my experiences and my thoughts and the way that we built the program but we also get the younger officers to participate and to talk and to ask questions and getting them to buy in really cops want to be helpers. That's why we took this job. So it's not really a stretch to get them to buy into the program. Um, what we have to, what we have to show them and we're getting more and more evidence every day is that the program actually works, that we're not just putting a bandaid on the, on the problem. We're actually getting people the help that they need. And when the officers see that the program actually works, then they're much more willing to buy in because that's what we want to do anyway.
2: John, John, do you want to ask uh, the Facebook question for Dr. Matt? You have it open over there? Sure. It's a long one. I don't know if I can handle it.
0: So, I think you're talking about the one. um, If Dr. Mack could go into some detail on how his recovery houses are dealing with COVID 19 and what steps and precautions have been taken to help the the men and women Uh, with meetings being shut down, how are recovery houses dealing with it uh, with, with all that's going on right now?
5: Okay. So, I believe. I believe I put out my first post on A New Life Sober Living's Facebook page uh, just to notify all of our friends and supporters on March 15th. Um, there were a whole bunch of particular rules that were set in place in different guidelines that we have right now. What I said during my introduction is first off, in addition to the regular intake process, um, things that we ask in terms of their actual substance abuse history and other personal information, we go ahead and we do a screening process just to see if they are, if there is any suspicion that they could bring. This novel coronavirus into the house. And I just need to add as well, one of the things that makes that incredibly easy, not just through our end, um, through my staff on admissions, but almost every single drug and alcohol inpatient institution that we deal with has set up guidelines as well. They currently, whenever employees come into work, they do temperature checks, and whenever we need any type of information in regard to that individual, whether they had a fever, whether they had shortness of breath, cough, uh, any of the symptoms or anything, they're they're on the ball with that anyway. However, what what a recovery house is doing um, to fight some of these challenges, so. First thing that I did was when all this went down, um, I went ahead. I I have an absolutely completely uh, amazing, amazing, amazing staff. Um, I have incredible house managers, and I have an incredible men's housing director and female housing director. Uh, I went ahead and I met with them, and I gave them all instruction on the certain things that we were going to do. Um, and again, these were just common sense things. Um, it was basically essentially before Governor Wolf went ahead and you know, laid the law down um, to provide some type of lockdown on the House, meaning um, other than work, other than things that are under absolute necessity, they are to stay into the House. Common areas, um, TV room, the kitchen, things like that, um, were to be restricted or limited Um, meaning they would only kind of be set up for meetings and things like that, of that nature. And just like you said, when you're actually talking about the recovery, like what are we doing? And we made sure that we provided all of our residents with an absolute complete ton of resources. And there are a ton of resources out there. Um, We usually have links sent for every single home group that is going on in particular fellowships. We gave, I have a paper posted at the house with Um, guided meditations with um, recorded lectures, a whole bunch of educational resources that they could have while they are there. In addition to that, the house managers have kind of went ahead and try to hold house meetings in the house while still respecting some type of social distancing and in particular and this is amazing because the girls have like really really adapted to this but my female housing director Lauren McKinney actually had the amazing idea and she's actually going ahead and she's given plenty of girls in the house journals that they write in she has them go ahead and make gratitude lists and she has not just the house managers but other people in the house having a leadership role and kind of um, trying to help other people with their recovery. So, you know, we're trying to do everything that we possibly can in terms of the actual, a, a couple of other things have switched as well. And again, that's just to protect the residents in our house. Normally like a lot of other recovery house owners, whenever somebody would relapse in the house under certain conditions, we do something called a protocol. And that's basically you give the individual 72 hours to, they have to actually leave the house and whether they go to their sponsor or somebody in their support system and they go ahead. And once they kind of get back on track and can come back with a clean urine, then we allow them back into the program. However, at this point in time, again, just speaking for a new life, sober living, just because of... Everything that's going on right now, like we do not offer that. If there is an incident where you are being removed from the house for a rule violation, like positive for drugs or positive for alcohol, you're actually administratively discharged from the program. But um, I think that's good. Yeah. Thanks, Doc. Yeah.
2: Appreciate that. Yeah, of course. Uh, Sean. Sean, we've been talking a lot about Lancaster County and Pennsylvania over here. What are you doing out in Los Angeles? to keep your recovery strong, yourself sane during the coronavirus pandemic? you want to weigh well, in on some of that stuff we yeah, talked well, about earlier? Part of it is, and, and
1: we're using the term social distancing, but we don't have to, like, it's physical distancing, but, mm-hmm. you know, we can still be socially connected to everyone. And, and I think, like, I mean, that's what I've been doing. A, lo- um, a lot, of, see, I have a lot of friends in recovery, a lot of my colleagues. Um, and if they're not recovery, they're, um, uh, maybe spiritual mentors. Uh, but, um, I'm still, I'm in actually probably closer contact with a lot of people than, than before all this started. Uh, so like, we don't have to be distant socially, like, you know, like, like the term says. And so, um, you know, I reach out to a lot of people, uh, and, a huge part of my recovery is staying in shape um, and working out. And so that's a big problem for a lot of people right now that aren't able to go to the gym. It totally screws up their, uh, you know, uh, we have a schedule, you know, we have a a structure like, like you're talking about earlier, you know? And um, so a lot of the people I know it's a huge problem for them. I have resistance bands here. I've got an ab wheel. I've got a chin up bar. I'm getting all my workouts in uh, while I'm home. Um, I'm keeping my diet uh, as as good as possible for me. Like for me, when I when I relapse now, it's on sugar. That's like if if for me a relapse these days is eating like crap, uh, and 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 that's not like that's not something to. Um, I mean, it's kind of funny, but at the same time, man, like the diet can be a huge part of recovery. And, uh, and it has been for me, like the better I eat, the, the better I feel. And, uh, and also, uh, Chris, I was talking to you about this earlier. Um, I don't know how many people listening or, or, or that can hear me have a, a virtual reality headset, but, uh, I found this thing called Trip, T R I P P. It's an app on the virtual reality, and it's basically a guided meditation. And it's like, it's part guided meditation, like it's kind of like like a CBT almost, like It's I don't know how to explain it except for um, I feel so much better when I'm done doing this for like five minutes a day, and um, you know it's not a magic bullet or anything, but like it's it's a it's a nice tool to have. Um, you know, so, I mean, those are just a few of the things.
2: I appreciate those, those tips and tricks. And, uh, I also struggle mightily with the diet fairly often. So I appreciate <laughs> the, uh, the good words, you know, being a large man. It happens. I mean, those are just some of the things that aren't the typical, you know,
1: I mean, just some different type of things that, you know, maybe
2: some people don't really think about when it comes to recovery well absolutely recovery is a, a holistic thing so yeah. it's the entire body spirit and mind and really you know if you let one of those slip too far you end up in a, a bad situation and uh, it's a good good thing to bring up that's why we wanted to talk about some broad based recovery related topics tonight and i appreciate you bringing those to the table and and just like the 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 people I surround
1: myself, my circle of people my circle of friends are all people that lift me up and, uh, and, you know, are healthy people to be around. And, and and I think a lot of my friends, um, or maybe just a lot of the people I know that, and I know this is tough, but there's some people you just kind of got to get, you know, I mean, you could still love them or whatever and care about them, but you kind of got to remove them from your life. So
0: that's that's a really good point Sean and especially now like today with how crazy everything is today with with the COVID-19 and I mean on, on Facebook Facebook is like a like a war zone I don't know if, if, if you guys are participating but it's I mean it's just like you're saying you got to unplug yourself from that it's uh it's it's not good for you it's it can yes. totally change your mentality you could be having a great day log on Facebook next thing you know you're arguing arguing with someone you don't even know
1: Yes, that's why, John, um, a, a few months back I took Twitter, I took the app off of my phone. I'm not saying I never go on there, mm-hmm. but it, it is such a, a toxic place to go. And I used to check it every morning when I woke up. And that's just a really bad way to start your day off. <laughs> it's I agree. Awful.
0: So uh, thank you for that, Sean. I got a question here for uh, John Padora uh, from Facebook, I think is where I got it from. Um, how will your, how will your approach change what is currently being done in the PA assembly?
7: Well, that's, that's a little bit of a long shot question. Um, to my, to my knowledge, and I'm not hundred percent sure if I'm right here, I don't believe there is any, um, previously open heroin addicts or opioid addicts in the Pennsylvania legislature. Um, I would have to validate whether or not there was any who have actually served time behind bars. Um, I have battle hardened experience being on the wrong side of the criminal justice system. Uh, I have also experienced rebuilding my life and being on the other end of the positive aspects of it. The solutions that I'll be able to offer to the Pennsylvania legislature will, will help progress us into the 21st century. I'll be able to sit down with my colleagues if I'm elected to the house, and I'll be able to tell them about my experiences, both positive and negative, and I'll be able to shed new light on the situation. I'll also be able to meet with more district attorneys with more elected officials in order to change more minds. Um, that's really the name of the game. I think if we can break down the stigma, I think we can make a lot of positive contributions to sobriety and moving um, moving Pennsylvania forward.
0: Okay. Um, got a bunch of questions here, just trying to, uh, to sort through them. So uh, I guess a question here for, for Chris or, or for, uh, for Chief Cunningham. Will Blueprints or Second Chance uh, be traveling to do training in other counties?
2: I'll take that one on if you don't mind, Chief. Uh, We would love to expand to other counties. Uh, It's just a a matter of logistics. And with the recent global pandemic, uh, it's slowed our progress down just a little bit. So as soon as everything opens back up and we're allowed to travel somewhat freely. Yeah, we would love to, to bring this up. I think Chief mentioned it earlier statewide uh, and hopefully go nationwide and really make the discussion that addiction is a health issue, not a criminal issue. And a lot of the criminal problems that stem from addiction are exactly that, uh, criminal problems that stem from addiction. Because I know I'm no criminal, but I have a criminal record. And I know John Padora, he's no criminal, but he has a criminal record. Dr. Matt, he might actually be a criminal, so we'll just... <laughs> that was a good one, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. But we have uh, a whole lot of other questions here too, and I think one of them comes from comes from Eric, who is uh, a reporter at CBS 21, and he said, "Sean, Sean, this one's for you. Does going back to the WW?" just going back to the WWE bring you back into the old mindset that you used to have. And how were you able to uh, stay clean while doing that?
1: No, it, honestly, it doesn't. I, um, because that mindset no longer, it's no longer part of the WWE culture. It's, it's so different from when I was a full-time performer there and, in the nineties and, you know, the early part of two thousands. Um, it's like, they worked really hard and with the wellness program and, and just, it's, it's not, it's a, it's a healthier culture, Chris. Um, and, and so I go, I I go there and I don't feel, I don't feel that. I, it's, it's like, um, you're going into a safe, it's like going into, it's, I hate to use the word safe space, but it feels it. It feels safe. You know, you know, you're not going to have someone coming up to you, like in the past going, Hey, you want one of these? It's just not happening there. You know? So, um, yeah, I totally get why, you know, it's a good question. And in the past it would have been detrimental. Like, like I would never, like, for instance, like in the past, like I remember my daughter asked me one time about getting into the wrestling industry and I was like, no way. It's just the most unhealthy culture. Just you know, you know, full of all—it's—it's it's just awful. But now, like, I, I would be, yeah, I have no problems with it because it's just—it's a different thing now. Thankfully, I'm really grateful for that because no longer you don't see guys dropping like so many of my friends. Like, I remember I talked about this at one point several years ago. Like, I had like 30 friends die in a couple year period. It was just ridiculous, you know. And and it's just the the rate of wrestlers. uh dropping like flies has slowed down quite a bit. And I'm really grateful for
2: that. And I know you can't see the Facebook feed, but Eric also added that he loves you. Oh, I love you too, Eric. <laughs> John, you got, John, you want to pull another question out of the, out of the ether? Sure. sure. For... There's, there's a lot of
0: love going around in the Facebook feed. Everyone's, everyone's really uh, appreciating what you all are saying. So um, the next question here is to, uh, to both the doctor and to uh, John Pedora do you see the need for more oversight for recovery houses in PA and can people be evicted for not being able to pay?
5: Uh, John, do you want to go first? No, you can go. Sure. You can go first.
7: Nope. I'm asking.
5: (laughs) (laughs) All right. So you threw me off. So there, there's a two part question again. the, Need for regulation for recovery houses and what was the other thing? Um,
0: well, let's let's, let's let's just start with that. Uh, so, Kurt, yeah, cur- yeah. Um, Is there a need for more oversight for recovery houses in PA?
5: Um, more oversight. I think that there is a need for recovery house owners to provide individuals with a safe structured environment where they are able to have every opportunity possible in early recovery. I know that there are certain types of certification right now. I believe one is through PAR. Um, there's a certification that you can get with that. I think there may be additional ones coming later on, I'm not too privy to that information yet. However, man, there's probably going to be a lot of people not happy when I say this, but if it takes more regulation and more rules to weed out the houses that do not have the individual's best interest at heart, then I'm all for it. I know a lot of people in lancaster county i know a lot of people in central pennsylvania that own recovery houses and they do absolutely completely everything in their power to provide the best place possible and that includes the staff that they employ some of the most amazing people that i have met um, are the people that run these programs however with that said Yeah, there's more that needs to be done. And if that puts, you know, more strain on me and my people to go ahead and abide by more rules that are enforced by the state than, like, so be, Because there are too many places around right now that just uh, don't have the person's interest at heart at all. What was the other one? Something about money, right?
0: Um, Can people be evicted uh, for not being able to pay?
5: As of right now, so this is just speaking with me and I just went over this with my men's housing director. So a couple of weeks ago, we got a letter of proclamation from the mayor of York City and there are similar orders right now with my other houses in Lancaster City as well as Landisville. And this goes to all boarding houses, rooms for rent and recovery homes. Um, At this point in time, there are no residents, as long as they have been living at said establishment for at least two weeks, cannot be removed from that property because of failure to pay. And I wish there was more to that, but it is pretty cut dry. So to answer your question... This is very difficult, too, because it puts myself and a lot of my colleagues, recovery house owners, in a very difficult situation because we are at a point right now where we have a lot of individuals who live at our houses that are going to be living for free for the next four, five, six weeks because of the inability to find employment and the inability to pay for rent. And we are going to be housing them for weeks on the assumption that they are going to pay us back once the time comes and you know, it's going to be a situation and we're going to find out either things are going to work out or the recovery house owners are actually going to get burnt on a lot of money here. Cause you know, what it comes down to is if you are not ready, if you are not ready to go through this recovery process and do everything that you have to do, and you've just been living somebody somewhere rent free for six weeks and then you get a $1,200 stimulus check in the mail, like, you know, what can you do about that? However, um, myself and a lot of the recovery house owners that I know are blessed enough to be in a position where we are able to go ahead and provide housing right now for people in early recovery. And um,
2: doctor, I don't want to cut you off because coming off an esteemed doctor, but we have a lot of questions firing in here.
5: Okay, so, so- can,
2: can,
0: can we can we let uh, let John weigh in on that too? Since he was yes. he was asked to. We got a lot of questions, man. We, we're getting a bunch of it. It, it just erupted. We just
7: got All right. inundated. <laughs> All right. Well, with that being said, I'll I'll try to keep this quick. Um, my opinion is absolutely yes. We we definitely need more more regulation to to ensure the effectiveness of recovery houses. I'm not exactly sure how that would be implemented properly. I think we could create panels that would, you know basically be consultation panels for people to evaluate the effectiveness. Um, I have a lot of friends that have been in different recovery houses, and the one thing that I can tell you is they're not all created equal. Um, Just like any form of capitalism, there's people out there that are set up to exploit people that are in recovery, and then there's people that have a passion and they they love to do it and and they care about you every step of the way. Um, The second part of that question, which the doctor answered in a little more detail than I did, I, I would support legislation that would put a temporary freeze on anybody being evicted from recovery houses. Um, often, the question we get then is, "Well, what, how do people pay for it? Then, how are we going to pay for it? Somebody has to pay for it, and that's a whole nother debate to have. But if we look at the um, if we look at the other forms of damage that are going to stem from people being kicked out of recovery houses, you're going to have a pretty heavy weight um, to bear on society. And we also mentioned things like the stimulus checks that's a whole nother thing that we need to evaluate. The worst thing that you could possibly do to somebody in recovery or a drug addict is to give them a, a check. Well, you know, uh-huh. that is absolutely the worst possible thing that we could do. There needs to be more oversight with that for people living in recovery homes. I know that in the peak of my addiction, if you would have handed me a $1,200 check, I would have had it spent quicker than I could take it to the bank. And I guarantee you not pretty much as universal for every other addict out there. So Absolutely, increase the regulation. We need more oversight, um, and we just need to do more to protect people that are recovering.
0: Okay, got it. Got a question? Sorry, was somebody saying something there?
7: Yeah, I
2: was gonna. I was gonna throw this out here real quick from Facebook. Uh, Anna asked District Attorney Heather Adams, "Can you answer why you feel so strongly for helping people in recovery, and also thank you so much for all that you do."
4: Sure. So I alluded to this earlier, but um, when I first started my position as an assistant district attorney in York County, uh, I quickly was assigned to our drug prosecution unit. And York County had one of the first drug treatment courts um, in Pennsylvania. Um, And I participated in that court um, for nearly uh, three years, I think it was, just shy of three years while I was there. Um, We were a team member, as, as many people might know, the Drug treatment courts operate as a team with um, probation, drug and alcohol, public defender's office, the court, and the district attorney's office. Um, so I got to see, you know, firsthand what a structured recovery. Now that's a long, longer-term program, usually 12 to 18 months, if not a little bit longer. Um, but how that could really turn people's lives around, um, and and I never forgot that experience. Um, and then again, when, when I was um, a defense attorney for five years, I really got to see um, the criminal justice system from the other side, uh, and I dealt with um, many clients uh, who were struggling with addiction. I talked with many families um, who really didn't know how to handle uh, their son or daughter's addiction. Um, so I, it, long story short is, is I was, um, had the experience on both sides. And, and there's just, there was, there was a need for, for something like this. You know, there's, it it was just very clear to me early on, um, that someone can truly turn their lives around and, and, and I've seen every, every type of person suffer from, from addiction. I mean, we had, we had a doctor in our drug treatment court program, um, in York County. Um, so it spans all. Uh, boundaries. Um, so yeah, that was my experience and I'm, I'm happy to be able to continue to uh, support, support that.
2: Thank you, Heather. Mm-hmm. John, you want to pull a, pull another question from somewhere in the world?
0: Um,
4: yeah, we actually have people
0: using the Q and A, which I didn't realize existed. So I pulled two questions from there. Um, so this is for anyone Herb says, I have a friend who's a recovering meth addict, uh, but her kid's dad, who she lives with, is a high-functioning addict. So every time she gets out of rehab, uh, she wants to be with her kids, and she goes back to live with him and always relapses. How can she stop this cycle?
1: Stop moving back in with him. <laughs> I mean, I don't I, – I'm not the expert on it, but
5: just – um." You know what, this kind of, I mean, mean—that I, I don't, I doubt I'm like anywhere near qualified to answer this question. But this kind of ties into something that I saw here on the webinar chat. There's a whole lot of other resources like we were talking about. There's an individual here who says that he's a clinician in the substance abuse field and like just one of these other sources that we can utilize and there's these amazing, amazing people and they are just like the people who do the second chance program. They are CRSs, certified recovery specialists. And these are people who have, I'm not sure exactly. I think it's at least 54 hours of training and they go through a whole certain bunch of processes. And they help people with a variety of different things. They help um, individuals go through um, a whole bunch of barriers that they're facing, problems in their life. And these are the types of people who may be in recovery, may not be in recovery, but they have a lot of experience and a lot of resources and a lot of different people that can help to help address a situation like this. Um, that's probably the best two, the, my two cents that I could provide on that.
1: I can't imagine. I can't imagine trying to be in, in recovery from methamphetamine and going back into a, a situation where the other person's using and not, not relapse. I just, it's almost, it seems almost impossible.
7: Yeah. No I, would, I would second that and say that it, it is impossible. And unless you remove yourself from those type of toxic situations, there's there's just no coming out on the other side better. Like Sean just said, I couldn't imagine trying to be in recovery and going home to my wife who was still a high functioning addict. It it brings the person around you down. And unless you get away from those toxic situations, um, you're not gonna better your life and things aren't gonna change. That's that's addiction one oh one. You have to remove the toxic elements from your life.
4: And I would suspect um that she is concerned about her children, and she wants to be with her children. Um, and I would just, you know, remind her that the court system is there to help with um, custody as well. And there are services out there like Mid-Pen Legal Services, if, if she can't afford to hire an attorney to deal with the custody situation, um, that may be able to help her with that. Uh, and she can ultimately do the best thing for her children by separating herself from, from that uh, issue.
0: Okay. Thank thank you all for the answers. There. Uh, question for uh, Chief Cunningham: How much of a culture change and training, uh, from an uh, implementation standpoint, um, did it take to get your officers uh, up to speed and uh, on board with uh, second chance initiatives?
3: It, it honestly, it wasn't really that big of a culture change because like I said, the cops come into this job because we want to be helpers. Uh, the problem is that we never had a tool in our toolbox that we could use to address this issue other than arrest. Um, because any of the programs that we've had available to us before were marginal at best. And oftentimes we would try to get someone into a program, and they would they would relapse so quickly that we really couldn't get them. Um, we really couldn't make a difference for them. Uh, the only the only way we really could make any difference would be arrest them and put them in jail and let them at least get clean in jail. And, and we all knew that we'd never arrest our way out of the problem. But we didn't have anything else to do. So when I offered this program to my officers, um, they were actually, they were excited about it because it gave them another option. It gave them something to do to help the people that we encounter. Uh, there were still, uh, there, there were a couple of the, the officers who were a little resistant. Um, but it, it, it's funny that really one of the, uh, and, and Chris loves to tell this story. One of the biggest uh, question askers, one of the biggest uh, guys that gave us pushback during the initial training for the first two departments, has become pretty much our biggest advocate. Um, and because he sees it work, and when we can show the officers results, then they jump on board with it. And honestly, I, I tell them uh, going from a strictly practical point of view getting a person help and enrolled in the second chance program at very least will end the problem for that night Uh, for a lot of these people that we can't we don't have enough to arrest them but we don't really have anything to do with them if we call out a crs and they get them into some sort of help that at least ends the problem for that night so going strictly from a practical point of view, they like it because they don't have to deal with those people anymore that night or that day or whatever. Um, but then when we appeal to their sense of wanting to be helpers, um, they're, they're generally they're on board 100%.
0: Well follow-up question on that uh, for Chief Cunningham and also for uh, for Chris Rebach in light of the recent events, CoVID19, the stay-at-home order, are there at-home resources for people going through the Second Chance program and blueprints?
3: And that's, uh, that's actually one of the, the points I wanted to jump off of from something Dr. Matt said earlier, uh, but Second Chance is still available. The phone number is still out there. The police are still here 24 hours a day, seven days a week. If you need our help, call us. Uh, we will still be able to make the connection to the Second Chance Program. We'll still be able to get you connected with that level of help uh, if you need it. Um, we may not be making as many with, with the, you know the pandemic and the social distancing, and we're we're not making as many person stops as we were or traffic stops as we were. Uh, but we're still we're still here and we're still available. And you can still call any of us 24 hours a day, and we can make the connection to Second Chance and get a CRS out to you uh, right away. And, and I know that the CRSs are, are waiting for those calls. Um, they're waiting for us to make those connections. Um, we just have to find the people who want the help. I mirror that exactly,
2: and I can point out that there is a CRS directly to my left, waiting, ever so patiently for someone to call for help. There she is. Say hi, Anna. Hello. So there's proof positive that we're still here. We're still ready to help anybody. I can't imagine
1: like how different things might have been if one of the times um, I was arrested uh for possession where I had the option of going to rehab instead of to jail I, I mean the two choices I mean most people are gonna you would think you know take the rehab and I and it just it, it could have changed things like you know I, I just can't imagine how different things could have been it, it, Wow you, you're
0: just to clarify so you're saying if you would have ended up in in jail
1: Well, I mean if I was given the option, Hey, either you're going to jail, or we can, you know, call this person and they can, you know, get you into rehab. I think I'm going to choose the rehab, right? Like, but once you end up in jail, and you can be, when when I'm sitting in jail, I could be, you know, come to Jesus and oh, I promise if I get out. I'll be, but then once you get out, people might have all the intentions and the best intentions of going into rehab, but then they never follow through. It's scary. Like, I mean, the whole lot, the whole. That's one of the big things about like for the, a lot of people I talk to, they're just, they don't know what they're, you know, they don't know what's in store for them. And and it's scary. The whole, the whole idea of going into it, you know, uh, an inpatient uh, rehab
5: program.
2: And I think that that opens up another question that came through a little bit ago uh, was there's definitely, it wasn't really a question. It was more of a comment, but a lot of people, have noticed that those who are using medication-assisted treatment are afraid to reach out and afraid to enter into different recovery programs because of the stigma and the shame associated with taking a medication to help them. Sean, do you have anything you want to weigh in on that? Let people know that perhaps they should still reach out. Well, I mean, yeah, for sure. Um,
1: I just, I mean, it's it's nice to know that pe- that there are more people that are open, you know open-minded about it um i just know there was at one point when um i tried to come off of suboxone too quickly and it was almost as bad as the uh the oxycontin withdrawals i had um, so like i can understand why people that you know that are on mat might be really scared about abruptly having to get off of it
2: I think the, the comment was almost people who are on it and <laughs> intend to stay on it. Oh, uh, they're, they're afraid to reach out and get involved in, let's say some outpatient or get involved in AA oh. or NA or get involved in, uh, you know, guided meditations, get involved in yoga and different things because of the stigma. And I know you experienced some of that yeah, personally. Yeah. But I mean, but for me, I, I, I
1: just, it didn't bother me that much, but, uh, for some people, I can understand it, and uh, um, please don't let that be. Uh, I mean, please don't let that be a reason not to reach out. Because, like Dr. Matt was saying, like you got to have the, you got to be in a, a, a you got to be working on some kind of a program along with it. You know, um, it's you have to. I mean, you don't have to
2: have to, but I mean, you really should. It is highly recommended. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. John, you got any more questions uh, floating around?
0: Yeah, I got a question that came in on Facebook for, uh, for John Padora coming from Chris. Um, How are things going running a state rep with your background as an addict alcoholic? Uh, What are some ways you will advocate to make getting into rehab more attainable uh, for someone without insurance?
7: That is an awesome question. So, First and foremost, there's been a lot of positive interactions and there's been a lot of negative interactions, Um, knocking people's doors early on in the year. uh, People were really encouraged. You know, they read our article in the newspaper where we highlighted, you know, my previous experience with addiction. We had a lot of positive outreach from the community, people that had, you know, sons or brothers or mothers or whoever, you know, suffered from addiction. And they were really happy to see somebody, you know, a former addict running for state house and then we get into the negative. I've had a lot of hate emails. I've had a lot of really nasty um, Facebook posts. I've had a lot of harassment, you know, junkie, heroin addict, everything else you could possibly imagine. So we're always subjected to both the negative and the positive. Overall, it's going really good. Um, Second part of the question, what we need to do is we can further expand Medicaid to help cover people that need to get into treatment now. Um, We can also create special state grant programs, uh, in the Pennsylvania legislature where we could fund, you know, alternative ways for people to get into recovery when they need, to, when they, when they need it the most. And another point we could bring up is we can decrease exponentially the cost on taxpayers from people being incarcerated in the prison system. When we can decrease that amount, we can put that funding back into the community to help people out. And I think that's really what the second chance program is all about. Um, Furthermore, I'd just like to clarify something that I heard earlier when I, I think the chief actually brought it up and I agree with, with everything he said. Um, he made a point about, you know, at least one tool that they had was being able to incarcerate an addict. At least they were able to, to get clean in a jail cell. Well, I'll tell you, when I went into prison, I had that mindset. I thought, you know what, this is finally it. I was too stubborn to go into treatment, but now being incarcerated, oh, I can finally detox. I can get myself better. I went into prison and I was surrounded by more drugs than I was almost every day on the street. I couldn't believe the amount of drugs that people were using next to me. And while I was sitting there going through the physical detoxes and suffering, people were around me, you know, passing drugs and and encouraging the use. And that was really, really deterring to me because I got into prison. I thought, wow, you know, we're supposed to be isolated. This is where people go to get correction. I had very little correction in there. We were surrounded by you know, all that drug use, the hostile treatment of the county task force when you're in there. Um, so I, basically the point that I'm bringing up with that is incarceration compounds the problems of addiction. If we can remove incarceration from the addiction equation, I guarantee we can uh, let millions more, Amer- million more Americans drift into recovery.
2: And I can, I can mirror uh, what John said. My experience in jail was very similar. Uh, unfortunately, there was very little correction uh, and it was not pleasant. Uh, But here in Pennsylvania, we do a pretty fantastic job of having resources countywide, county by county to make sure that nobody goes without access to treatment. So every county has a specific detox fund set up and a specific outpatient fund set up. So I have never in 13 years found one human we couldn't get into treatment. So if you're struggling, don't be afraid to reach out and definitely don't be afraid to say something because if you are struggling, it's extremely important to reach out and make that first move to get your life back together.
0: All right. So we got a a few minutes left here, about eight minutes, so a few more questions. Um, I think this is the question Chris wanted me to ask Dr. Matt a while ago, and asked the wrong one, <laughs> but so this is a, this is another long one. So get get ready for it. Um, I'll try to read slowly. Okay. Uh, que- question for the doctor: With the risk reward facet of the MAT treatment, are our resources able to be efficient and effective with the individual needs of the patient? Is it more of a risk to have it viewed as a cookie cutter approach? to fix a, a mass issue versus all the indi- individual needs that comes with treatment, treatment versus maintenance. All
5: right. I mean, that, that's a very busy question. Um, I, I think the only thing that I, I could really say to answer that is I think that would just be completely between the individual who is going to an MAT provider for the consult and to be able to get on that type of medication? Is there really a cookie cutter approach to it? I I don't know if I would say a cookie cutter approach is if you had some illness and you're getting this antibiotic and that's just the way it works. I mean, I think everybody... I think it's just an issue where, like, you would at least hope that you would have some type of individualistic type of care that isn't just, like, it's not just like an assembly line. I mean, I think that, again, with MAT, yes, you actually go ahead and you get the prescription for the buprenorphine, but, like, the other parts of the therapy have to do with receiving other types of treatment as well. And that would be more mental health, more social work, more guidance towards that factor. So I don't think necessarily every single person is going to get the exact same thing from the exact same person. I think it really, in, I think it really depends on the, the patient and the doctor relationship that they develop. I'm not sure if I answered that correctly.
0: It, it was it was a complicated question. I think you did a fine job.
5: Thanks.
2: <laughs> yeah, and I think uh, since we're winding down to the last five minutes, perhaps uh, I want to take at least this moment to thank all of the panelists for taking time out of their day, out of their mm-hmm. busy coronavirus impeded schedules to come out and, and really just commune with us and talk about this extremely important issue. And uh, maybe does anybody want to close out with the last minute Uh, Any thoughts that you have uh, to leave in parting for any of our listeners, anybody tuning in, maybe start up on my uh, top right of the screen. Heather, you want to say anything in closing? You're on mute. You're muted.
4: Sorry about that. Thank you, uh, Chris, for the opportunity. And I, I look forward to, um, working with you again and, the, and Chief um, to get us uh, 100% throughout Lancaster County. Um, and you know, I'll do whatever I can for you to have conversations with other counties as well. So I think, I think this is just the beginning. I think other people are going to start paying attention to what you've been doing here. Um, and I think good things are ahead.
2: Thank you. Thank you so much. And I'm really looking forward to being able to expand to this and really turn the, the addiction is not a crime movement into a, a statewide thing and watch the benefits flow throughout the entire state. Uh, Sean, Sean, you got any closing thoughts, anything you want to leave with the listeners?
1: Well, I mean, just, well, I just want to say thanks for having me on. Uh, I'm, I'm honored to be here with you guys. Um, you know, like, I don't know. I I think, I don't know. I'm, I guess not. (laughs) I guess I, I don't know. I'm coming. I'm drawing a blank right now, but, um, I, um, I'm grateful for you, Chris and everything you're doing. And, uh, I, um, I wish I would have ran into you, uh, when I was going through all this stuff I was going through, it might've come might not have taken me so long to come out of the darkness.
2: Thanks for that, man. That really makes my heart happy. And, uh, you know, I'm just glad to know you now. And I want to thank you for, you know, zooming in all the way from Los Angeles, California.
1: Well, part of the reason, like, I, you know, I might not be the best at at doing this kind of thing, but I I just wanted to try to help bring more awareness to what you're doing, Chris. And like I said, I'm so grateful to you. And, uh, you know, Chief Cunningham, uh, District Attorney Adams, Dr. Matt and everybody else, So uh, thank you all so much for letting me be a part of this with you.
2: Thanks, Sean. Uh, Chief, Chief, you got anything you want to close out with here?
3: No, just a quick thank you for for the platform. Thank you to John for uh, wrangling all of us and and keeping us in line and on schedule. And uh, and thank you to everybody who tuned in. Uh, The biggest thing that I would say that you can do is spread the word. If you're in a municipality where – Uh, Second Chance is going on. Um, Thank the officers for being part of the problem. If you're in a municipality uh, where Second Chance is not uh, active, uh, go ask your borough or township council why it isn't. Ask your police chief why it isn't, why they're not participating, and uh, help us get this uh, countywide, areawide, statewide, so we can continue to offer help to the people who need it. Thank you, Chief, and
2: thank you for being a, an extremely progressive chief of police, uh, and I'm just honored to work with you every single day of my life. John, John Padora, you got anything you want to close out with there?
7: Yeah, sure. Um, I'd like to just end by you know, thanking everybody again for your time. Chris, thanks for giving me a platform tonight to, to discuss my, my hardships and my experiences with addiction. Um, I'm happy to be able to use my, my struggles to inspire others. There was a time where I didn't even know if I was going to make it to the next day if I didn't, I didn't know whether or not my children were going to get the look in my eyes. So the fact that I'm here and I'm healthy and I'm thriving and I have a platform to be able to help other people, um, that's really inspiring to me. And I just look forward to changing the hearts and minds of a lot of other people throughout our state. And I look forward to taking our addiction is not a crime movement all the way to Harrisburg and getting it to the Pennsylvania state legislature and making this a statewide um, reality. Thank you.
2: Love to hear that, Uh, Doctor Matt. Any closing, Doctor uh, Diet Coke Championship thoughts? I drank three of them. That's not bad.
5: (laughs) Um, The only thing I really want to say, Chris. I mean, obviously, thank you so much for inviting me again, Chief. It's always good seeing you. And again, like, what a you know, just an absolutely completely amazing guy. Progressive, whatever you want to call it, just amazing. Uh, John, District Attorney Adams, uh, Sean, uh, nothing but a pleasure. Thank you. The only thing that I want to leave for everybody, which is why we are here, um, resources. If you need anything with addiction, mental health, anything, Um, drug and alcohol institutions, detoxes, crisis numbers, um, a new Life Sober Living is our Facebook page. Give me a couple of hours tonight. I'm going to go ahead and post absolutely completely every number of resource that I know so that you can pass it along to somebody you know or somebody you love who could need help during this time. And thank you guys so much again. I appreciate it.
2: John Odermatt, our esteemed host, do you have any any closing thoughts after this two-hour extravaganza?
0: i just uh just wanted to thank thank you all for you know for coming forward and giving two hours of of your night tonight you know we've had a a lot of people watching here on uh on zoom a lot of people watching on facebook I'm sure it's been shared around it and more will get this message so um I'm just ha- so happy to uh be able to be a part of this and to help to give give a platform um I do want to add that I will ask of all of you uh matt dr Matt was just talking about pulling together some resources. Um, I will post this as a podcast this upcoming Friday. So on the show notes page for that podcast, which will be lions of Liberty, lion, like the animal, Lions of slash FF 225. I will post all the links, all the resources, whatever any of you all pass on to me that can help people. I'll put it on that show notes page. And thank Good you man. Chris, for, for putting you. this together.
2: Yeah. Thank you everybody. And, and have a great night. Thank you.
0: See See you. Have a great night. Me too. Thank you for listening to today's show. Another great episode of Felony Friday. As you know, Felony Friday is one of three shows we have here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. Of course, we kick off every single week with our Monday show hosted by Mark Clare. It's our longest running program, our flagship program, where Mark interviews leaders in the liberty movement. Every Wednesday, we have Electric Liberty Land hosted by... Brian McWilliams, it's your weekly shot of culture, comedy, liberty, swearing, and just just good fun. Check that out. You can get all three shows by subscribing for the great price of $0 per month. You get everything that we have here. So please check everything out. And uh, if you like it all, please think about consider supporting what we're doing here at Lions of Liberty. A great way to do that is by joining the Lions of Liberty Pride you can do that by going to patreon.com slash lines of liberty. Another great way of doing that is by uh, following, liking, sharing our stuff on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash lines of liberty. On Instagram and Twitter, we are at lines of liberty. And the discussion forum where all the greatest and brightest minds go to to talk about politics, liberty. Everything that's happening in the world today, current events, the Lions of Liberty Forum on Facebook, which you can find by typing Lions of Liberty Forum in the search bar at the top of Facebook. Clicking search, comes up, say you want to join it, answer a question, bam, you're in, and the rest is just going to be a great journey for you. So check that out. That's all I have for today. This is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up and the fires of Liberty burning.